0: People go to work Mm. and stay at a company because they feel they have meaning inside of that Mm. company's context. Of course, we do it Mm. for the money. We need to feed our families. We need to have a home, et cetera. But they stay Mm. for meaning. And the way that people feel meaning is when they have real voice. And when they have real voice is when they can influence the direction of the company. And great CEOs understand that and Mm. recognize that. And- expect their teams and expect their executives to figure it out and then Mm -hmm. come to the CEO for guidance, for help, for building consensus with some of the other executives who aren't playing ball. But but great leaders Mm -hmm. are only great if they have good followers. And the best way to get followership is to give those followers meaning in what they're doing.
1: Super. Welcome to Super Entrepreneur's Podcast. Today we have with us Alec Hudnut. Alec is the managing partner at Vici Partners a management consulting firm composed of seasoned experts dedicated to helping businesses improve execution and dramatically grow earnings. Welcome to our show, Alec. Thank you, Shahid. It's great to have you here. This is wonderful what you're doing for businesses, dramatically increasing earnings. Yeah, our firm, Vici
0: Partners, helps companies improve their profitability and typically our clients grow their operating income by 25% within a two-year period. Uh, and we work with companies as small as a few 200 million or so, all the way up to $50 billion plus businesses. And you know, what's different about our methodology from most firms is two things. The first is we only use seasoned executives as consultants. Okay. so our consulting teams are former CEOs, former cfos former partners mm-hmm. big consulting firms and so our clients get the benefit of folks with real world experience operating businesses and we think that mm-hmm. makes them and us better consultants than certainly i was when i came out of harvard business school 30 years ago yeah. um, so only senior people and the second thing is that we We don't tell our clients what to do.
1: We don't Okay. Since
0: we're focused on implementation and successful results, we know that if the answer comes from inside of the company, it is much more likely to get implemented. And that's all we care about is initiatives that get Mm -hmm. implemented, that dramatically improve earnings. We don't show up with a big fancy book and here's what you need to do. We go out we and allow them to figure it out. Yeah. We go and listen and develop thousands of ideas and then help them figure out the one or 200 that they should be implementing. And of course, we're experienced mm-hmm. operators. We will try and make the initiatives better, lower risk, faster payback, et cetera. But the vast majority of the initiatives that are part of our
1: earnings growth programs come from within the company share your experience and then allow them to see where they can improve. So for example, let's say we're brainstorming inside of the Mm -hmm. call center
0: of a big company and we're running a full day of brainstorming sessions. We might do the first one on first call resolution. Like how do you resolve calls when they come in so that the customer doesn't have to call back? If you can do that, it tends to lead to better customer satisfaction and less call time, which allows you to reduce costs over time. We've optimized first call resolution and call centers, dozens of times at other companies, Mm. but we're not gonna tell the company what to do. We're gonna, we're gonna set up a brainstorming session and say, okay, how do you approach first call resolution? What are your ideas on making it better? If you owned the company, what would you do? And we're gonna listen. And then we're mm-hmm. going to take nuggets that come out of that and make them bigger, make them better.
1: Very good. So, what's the most successful strategy that you implemented for a client?
0: Well, it, our process is the same at every client. We work across the mm-hmm. entire company, and we have we run this twenty-week bottoms-up process of generating ideas at the front line, in mid-level management, with suppliers with customers, basically giving Mm -hmm. voice to the organization, which if you're the CEO of a $20 billion company, sometimes you don't have the time to go out and listen, and so what we're doing is we're going out and listening, capturing thousands and thousands of ideas, and then bringing back to the C-suite for a decision, the 100 or 200 really good ones that have a fast payback, Mm -hmm. low risk, have a lot of ownership and buy-in from the executives in that particular area. Because if you're a CEO, Mm. one of the hardest things in a company is how do you decide what to do? And Mm. since most of us have been CEOs in other companies, we said, all right, what what helped us decide when we were CEOs? Mm. And so that's how we prepare the business cases. And it's basically a simple statement of the situation and the suggested resolution the risks and what you're gonna do about them, the simple business case on one page, not a 20 page PowerPoint. And then most importantly, as a CEO, who are the executives that you would want to have involved in making this decision? And have they already been talked to? And what did they say? Did they agree outright? Or what changes did they suggest be made to that initiative? And if you have all that information in front of you, In addition to an executive standing up and saying, I want to do this, you can change my budget, I'll sign up for more revenue because of this, and the business case is good, the risks are low, the payback is quick, all the people that I as the CEO wanted to have consulted, like the CFO or the other EVPs, and that's all been done for me, then I might ask one or two questions, but I'm really ready to go. And so what we're helping the organization do is to ferret out ideas from the front line, and then put them in front of the CEO, CFO, and a couple of other executives in a way that they can make a decision literally in 30 seconds because the decision has already been syndicated so well that they can just say yes.
1: Hmm. But is there a very common improvement that you notice in many of the businesses that you implement?
0: One is in the area of technology and a lot of times a technology department, let's say, gets as a hundred million dollar budget and they build business cases and prioritize all of the technology initiatives that they're going to do. And they, in many cases, successfully deliver them on time and on budget. But what's often missing is holding the business units accountable for the cost savings or the revenue growth that technology project was supposed to deliver. And if you get $3 million to build a new warehouse management system, what was that supposed to save you? Were you supposed to have less Mm. labor because of it? Were you supposed to have less inventory? Were you supposed to be able to track inventory better and have less obsolete inventory? and making sure that the business units are actually reducing their costs or growing their revenue because of the successful implementation of this project. There's a lot of times that doesn't occur. And so what basically yeah. happens is the technology department successfully delivers the program, does it on budget, on time, and there are no benefits for it. There are no so
1: benefits. Your, yeah, there are no awareness. benefits that are actually mm-hmm.
0: achieved in the business unit. And if there are no benefits, Mm. then the project shouldn't have been done. So one of the Mm. things we always find in technology is that about 25% of the projects that are greenlit, the business units who signed up for savings never actually delivered them. And so we support the technology area in figuring out how to get the business units to deliver on the cost reduction savings or the revenue enhancements that they signed up for because of this project. So that's one area we always find. Call centers as well. We always Mm -hmm. find savings in call centers. The way we think of a call to a call center is it's a product defect. There should never be a call to a, in a perfect world, there should never be a call to a call center. You should be able to figure out everything on your own, either as a consumer- All All the questions are answered. Yeah, or as a business. And the way you do that is Mm -hmm. you make a product that works, (laughs) that doesn't have Mm -hmm. a lot of bugs and you allow Mm -hmm. customers to self-service their questions, whether it's on an app or on the website or on a, on a phone tree. And so you want there to be fewer problems. And then when there are problems to allow the customer to self-serve, because you'd much, as a consumer, I'd much rather self-serve. I'd much rather go on the website and in forty-five the seconds phone. have the answer to the question instead yeah. of calling in. While well, I have yes. other stuff to do during the day and waiting for mm-hmm. six minutes and then maybe getting it answered, maybe not. In call yeah. centers, we have a radical approach, which is we believe that any call to the call center is a defect, either a product defect mm. or a training defect or support defect. Something's so missing. We, something's missing. So we identify all the root mm. cause reasons why people call in and try and address those. For example, we served a large insurance client. 26% of their calls to the call center were, is my doctor in the plan? I just switched to your plan. Is my doctor in the plan? Or I heard my doctor was moving. Is he still in the plan? You don't need a call center to answer that question. But this particular client did because they updated the doctor list once a month. And so customers didn't actually know within the month whether their doctor was in the plan. And so we invested five additional people to keep that doctor's list up to date and update it twice a day. And guess what? The calls that came in around is my doctor in the plan went from 26% down to 5% and they were able to take 20%, 21% call volume reduction and reinvest that in service and, and also eliminate some of the call center folks so reinvested in margin for the overall business so call center can you speak about an area where there's sorry, a lot of ahead. savings?
1: call, yeah. call, centers call center is a, is a big area where
0: there are a lot of savings
1: mm-hmm. do you have a specific client that you guys helped that has seen the most amount of earnings or savings? And what was their story? Like what happened? How did you improve it? In our turnaround situations,
0: we see dramatic short-term savings. So we basically principally serve two types of companies. One is a company that's in distress, that is losing a lot of money and needs to get to Mm -hmm. profitability quickly. And the second category are companies that are doing well, but want to do better and want to make Mm -hmm. more money so that they can reinvest it in growth or improve their earnings. So the most dramatic changes come in the turnaround situations where they have to fix it. So in in many turnaround situations, they have six months, 12 months of money left, and then they're out of business. And they could be a medium-sized public company or a private company. And so when you have that kind of forcing mechanism, you know, that's when you get the best results because you do not have an alternative. It's like when Cortez landed in, 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 in the new world, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and all of the Spanish conquistadors went ashore and started drinking water and eating coconuts. What did Cortez do while they were at ashore? He burned the ships. And he oh, said, so no way back. In three years, new ships are coming. But there's no way back. And guess what? His mm. guys figured it out. They, you results. Know, they, they survived I mean. and prospered. <laughs> That's the kind of situation that you have in a yeah. turnaround where literally the company yeah. will be out of business in six to twelve months. And the only alternative is to get it yeah, to cash flow even move. as fast as possible. And so in that situation, mm. we get significant near term results work canceling product lines that can never be profitable. We're getting rid of layers of management. We're consolidating operations. We are renegotiating vendor contracts. And typically you'll get, you know, a company could be a $500 million company losing hundred million dollars a year. To get a hundred million dollar improvement in six to 12 months is very difficult unless you have a forcing mechanism. And when you have a forcing mechanism, mm. The entire management team and the owners of the business, if they're different than the managers are like, we need to do this. And so the organization Mm -hmm. is willing to aggressively move to get itself to profitability. So those are the situations where we have great near-term impact. The other type of situation, (laughs) chief partners, where we have a large impact on our clients is where the executive team is very strong. So. A lot of times in top performing companies, there's a very strong executive team, and you wouldn't think in a top performing company that already has good margins, already has good revenue growth, that you could find a lot more, but you can, because one of the great determinants of an earnings growth program is how good is the executive team? How willing are they to make the tough decisions? How willing are they to go after the sacred cows? And we find in great management teams that they're willing to do those things. And because of that, they also get great improvement to earnings. So we find that our success is best with either strong management teams and high-performing companies or companies that are in a turnaround and just have to do it no matter what.
1: And the ones that are scaling, is there a portion regarding mindset? Is that a part of the engagement? Definitely. So.
0: What we're trying to create in the organization is the value of frontline people having voice. And you have to do two things for that to happen. Number one, the frontline people need to state the case in a way that the executives can actually decide because most often frontline issues come as a complaint. Yeah oh, I'm, you're keeping me for overtime on Thursday night and I got to pick my kids up at school and I just can't do that. Yeah. And, and, and that, a complaint is the beginning of an initiative or an idea. Mm-hmm. But for a CEO mm-hmm. or an EVP to make a decision on something, you've got to state it in a different way. Hey, I'm doing a lot of overtime. This is mm-hmm. costing the company an extra 20% a week. I mm-hmm. think if we change the way we handle incoming calls on this product line, We could handle them faster. We need to make these four tweaks to the system. It's going to cost us 50 grand to do it. And it's going to save us Mm. 300 grand of overtime a year. I've talked to IT. I've talked to the other VPs and they're all on board. It's going to take us about 90 days to implement. Do we have your blessing to try? Now, if I'm an EVP or a CEO, I'm like, that sounds reasonable.
1: Makes sense. Part of
0: giving an organization voice is helping the frontline folks be able to mm. state the case in a way that executives can actually decide. And on the other side, it's creating a context that the executives are willing to listen. Now, mm. executives, I've been the CEO multiple times, right? You get a little bit tone deaf because all you hear is complaints. And you can't do anything with a complaint. And so what you're also on the other it's Productive. Side, yeah, teaching the executive that, now the frontline middle managers, suppliers are talking to you in a new way, in a way that mm-hmm. you can actually decide. Here's the value of listening to them. You know, you've listened to them on mm. these 10 initiatives yeah. that saved you 4 million bucks, keep listening. So part of giving Deep an organization listening. voice is teaching the front line how to talk to executives so that they can decide hmm. and encouraging the executives to listen because they see that those decisions are valuable to the operating income of the company. So that's one cultural change that we make in a company. We Mm. do not talk about it. Any consultants that are out there talking about cultural change, I think is a waste of time. We're doing it. Mm. We're doing it. We're teaching the frontline people and the mid-level managers how to Mm. present initiatives in a way that they can be decided on. And we're teaching the senior team how to actually Decide on hundreds of initiatives in a day. So that's one big cultural Mm. change. The second, the second is we want people in the company to behave like owners. Not cogs in the machine. So when we're doing our brainstorming, when we're working with the senior executives, we ask a single question. What would you do if you owned the company? And you'd be amazed at the answers you get. Because when people mm-hmm. actually think about it like that, they're like, wait a second, I would do a bunch of things differently. This entire mm-hmm. channel, this third-party channel we're working with that's very yeah. low margin, I would cut it down. Yes, it would take out 20% of our revenue, but if we went direct, we'd get three times the margin, a lot less headache. It would take us a few years to rebuild, but it would be much better in the long-term. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Some you were good, constrained good ideas. by
0: your EPS targets for the year and that you publish to the street and constrained by the revenue growth expectations of the companies. But those are all false boxes that you're being put in. That mm-hmm. if you just behave like an owner of the company, I own the company. I care about cash flow. I care about cash flow growth. I'm willing to make investments for the long term. I'm willing to make radical choices that might appear to be near term losers, but are big beneficiaries in the long term, mm. wow, okay, now you're starting to act like an owner. Yeah. And it's a lot of times people have lost the feeling of being an owner, whether they're an executive mm. or a frontline worker. And so we're trying to encourage them to behave back. like owners. And in doing so, you're going to find, you're going to make different decisions. You're going to find a way to sustain profitable growth in a, in a different way.
1: And the idea, the quality of the ideas, improve dramatically. Definitely, yeah. when you strip away
0: politics, When you strip away expectation, mm. just say, okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Vici Partners, we're a partnership. We're owned by the partners. We always think about what's the right thing for the customers first. What's the right thing for the partners second? Right. That's how we think about it. And you yes. just mm-hmm. keep doing. If you think about it that way as a corporation, you'll be much better off.
1: Awesome. Behave like well, an like,
0: owner. That's where the answer is. Yeah,
1: like yeah, behave like an owner and you'll find the right solutions. Exactly. You, know, you increase, yes, yeah, increasing the level of awareness. Even when you just say that to someone, just feel that you're the owner. What is the solution to this problem? You'll see the quality just dramatically shifts. So that's wonderful. Like, I really enjoyed this information. I want to ask you another question. What do you feel your innermost superpower is that got you to this point in life? That's a good question. Thanks.
0: I really think the key to business is to be good at listening, mm-hmm. yes, empathizing and understanding what the customer mm-hmm. wants, and then yes. co-creating the solution with them. And, and if you can do those things, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. More important to listen. Yes.
1: <laughs> More but important if,
0: to listen, definitely. I'm not always good at it either. Sometimes I like to preach mm. or tell what the answer is, but whenever <laughs> I do that, it usually doesn't help. So I think the greatest yeah. superpower is to be a good Listening. listener and to really mm-hmm. empathize and understand the perspective mm-hmm. the customer uh, or internally. Mm-hmm. The salespeople or your partners or the other executives. And then don't make the mistake that most CEOs make. Most CEOs like to tell. Mm. The powerful CEOs co-create. They go back to the EVP. That's a true leader. Yeah. They say, I'm so glad you raised that issue. I now really Mm. understand your perspective and the customer's perspective. Mm. How would you solve the problem and why?
1: Yes. Excellent. If the
0: EVP says to you, I don't know, you tell me what to do. That is not a good EVP. You either have to coach Mm. them or get them out. What you want is the EVP to say, I think there are three ways we could solve it. And I think option number one is the best for these reasons. What do you think, Mr. CEO? And you begin to have that dialogue and you're co-creating the solution. So you as the CEO, your job is to serve your management team not to tell Mm -hmm. them what to do occasionally (laughs) occasionally you'll have to tell them what to do a few times a year Mm -hmm. look i know you guys are all against this acquisition but i'm going to do it anyways and this is why Mm -hmm. it's getting us into Mm -hmm. this market that we've always wanted to get into i know you guys are Mm -hmm. busy i know you're worried about all the additional work but we need to get into the german market and this is the best way and let me tell you why i think we should do this and let's talk about it for a Mm. few hours but at the end of the day i Mm. want you on board with me occasionally you have to do that as Mm. a ceo
1: but you really don't want to do it
0: you want to do it as little as uh, possible you want to co-create and Mm. serve your executive team
1: Mm. like true leadership is when you amplify others and you appreciate the collective mind of an organization. If you can add multiple lines and their voice minds and their voices to come up with a solution, an idea, they're just so much better. You're so right. People go
0: to work yeah. and stay at a company because they feel they have meaning inside of that mm. company's context. Of course, we do it mm. for the money. We need to feed our families. We yeah. need to have a home, et cetera. Of course. But they stay mm. for meaning. And the way yes. that people feel meaning is when they have real voice and when they have real voice is when they can influence the direction of the company and great ceos understand that and Mm -hmm. recognize that and expect their teams and expect their executives to figure it out and then come to the ceo for guidance for help for building consensus with some of the other executives who aren't playing ball but great you know, it's great good. company, great leaders mm. are only great if they have good followers. And the best way Rest. to get followership is to give those followers meaning in what they're doing.
1: Excellent. This was a real beneficial interview we had, and I'm sure it's going to make a very solid impact in the business world because sometimes we just need that clarity. Sometimes we just need that increased awareness. In our own organization. So I'm hoping that the impact is going to be made because of what you shared today. So Alec, I want to thank you for taking the time to be part of the show today and I appreciate your time. Thank you, Shahid. It was enjoyable to talk with you and have a great day. Thank you. Audience, thank you once again for joining us. Information will be available in the show notes. You can take a look at Vichy Partners, and see all the wonderful things that they're doing for organizations and the amount of earnings they're helping them increase and just making things better is definitely something you would want to look into appreciate you guys for helping us grow and once again thank you and thank you Alec you're welcome shit